0: Welcome to Ohio's Bios, an insight into local government here in Ohio. I'm David Thomas and serve as County Auditor for Ashabila County in Northeast Ohio. Local government impacts each of us every day, but how much do we really know about the organizations and the people who make everyday life possible? Join me as I speak with the leaders in local government making a difference in our communities every day. This episode's a little bit out of the normal context of some of the podcast episodes that you've heard here on Ohio's Bios, but since coming back from really an incredible trip, I've talked to so many people that I thought it would be of interest to any of our listeners here on the podcast uh, to learn a little bit about my trip down to the U.S. southern border right along the Mexican uh, line on the Rio Grande um, down in Texas that I was just able to be on recently and some of the experiences that I saw, the lessons learned, and uh, really that firsthand knowledge of the crisis that's happening down there along the the U.S.-Mexican border. Was fortunate, went down um, with a non-profit group, national group called Americans for Prosperity. Uh, They're a national organization that focuses really on economic freedom policy and educating uh, citizens on economic issues. Um, And they took a group of about 10 people from Ohio 10 from Michigan and Illinois and Pennsylvania uh, down to the U.S. southern border in McAllen, Texas, a really neat place, but very essentially southeast tip of Texas, right down there. And we spent uh, three days, flew in on Monday, came back on Wednesday, one whole day traveling and sightseeing along the border. And we able to talk to folks that have property there, that um, patrol the border, that are dealing with the... Uh, the humanitarian aspect and crisis of what's happening at the border and be able to see it firsthand which was just absolutely incredible um, learned a lot on the trip learned uh, some of the different policy initiatives that need to happen some of the issues and the crises that have been occurring and just some of those numbers as well um, and you know was able to touch the Rio Grande River and able to uh, you know touch the actual border wall also which just a uh, really unique experience uh, highly recommend if you're able to so our, our day uh, began on tuesday actually driving around and seeing some of the legal border crossings some of the bridges that essentially carry folks from mexico into the u.s and you know learn that the time frame for waiting uh, on those bridges is quite a long time couple hours typically and just the huge economic impact of all the different um, goods and materials, uh, food, and people that cross there every day. You know, billions of dollars of, of economic impact um, that legally cross every day, but just the, the backups and the, the time lag of the process to actually go from one country to the other, quite long. After that, then, we went and actually were able to see, get out, and uh, walk down to the Rio Grande River itself. Uh, we actually passed um, a wall that was built Uh, we saw several different variations of walls and physical barriers under different presidents so um, you know it's it's interesting the texas border traditionally has a lot of private property and has a lot of uh, just natural barriers that prevent uh, you know walls or any man-made physical barriers and that's versus the arizona and the california side where it's very flat, and usually it's the federal government that owns all that property. So in Texas, you know, for example, where we went and got out, um, the wall may actually be a couple hundred yards into the U.S., and there's actually then part of the U.S. behind the wall, which in this case, uh, you know, essentially the border was the Rio Grande, but we passed through a wall that was built during the Trump presidency, and um, we're then able to go down to the actual border. And that was at the McAllen Water District. Um, I heard from a, a man named Otho Brand, uh, who is actually the essentially the president of the water district. They have a lot of property along the Rio Grande River, and they bring water into the cities. And um, you know he shared, and we were able to see it right there, being right along the river, um, that crossings happen all the time, and you could actually see it almost looked like a deer path um, of just worn down and essentially just dirt from the other side of Mexico where people would walk down, swim across the river, get into the US and then either be able to um, move around the US side around the wall or uh, maybe with a a ladder or just turn themselves right there into the border patrol. I'll get to a little bit of why and and what the different uh, reasonings might be for that. Um, but it was just incredible to see how how narrow. I've always thought that the Rio Grande was a large river that was very dangerous. But in this area, it was very narrow, easy to cross. And you could tell people did it a lot. You know, he shared with us that the cartels would actually watch his men at the pump station there, would mimic what they wore, um, would essentially tell the men to look the other way. They had guns quite often. Um, and uh, just through a lot of different measures, they've been able to to hamper down some of the crossings there, but just incredible that you know it's just right there, right in the open, um, for people to come across. And you know he he discussed just growing up in the valley and how much it's changed um, in in the past couple of decades, uh, and how much more dangerous it's gotten, and how uh, strong of a police presence they have to have in the urban areas, and how everyone's moving into the cities. You know instances where. Um, you know, bad actors would be walking across farms, uh, telling families to leave their home, or um, you know, would be demanding certain things, or just really unsafe uh, conditions. Um, which is, it just, you know, he ultimately said, "Hey, th- this is America. You know, we shouldn't be afraid to live in our homes um, anywhere." And that's absolutely true. Um, so that that was just incredible to see, you know, right there how easy it is. It was also important to note that that was a perfect example. This is part of the Rio Grande, it's windy. There's lots of vegetation, there's lots of trees um, where you know folks that say that we just need to put a wall all across the southern border, it's just not physically possible. You know, Places like that, you just couldn't do it um, with the river right there. And also it'd be very difficult to have a lot of technology there too, just given all the vegetation, the overgrowth, um, the visibility is very low because there's lots of curves and winding areas. And so, in, in places like that, um, you know, those two aspects of border security really wouldn't work uh, very well. So, you know, just right off the bat, we were able to see um, see that. And this is also, um, you know, the first time we heard, and, and we heard this consistently throughout the day. Some of the statistics, some of the just the huge numbers um, of people crossing of of uh, you know Godaways crossing, for example, people that we have no idea who they are. And he also brought up an interesting point that we heard as well, just the much larger number of um, single men, single women uh, coming across more recently, especially from uh, non-traditional countries that you think of crossing the border. So during the Ukrainian um, war, when it first broke out, a lot of Russians and Ukrainians. And then now, and, and you know, encourage you to look this up too, but now, they're seeing a large number of, of uh, Chinese nationals coming across the border, which is just you know really insane to think about, tens of thousands. Um, it's, it's up, I think, now to about 7% of the border crossings that we know about are actually people from China. So it's really fascinating there. Um, after that, we, we drove and saw some more of the different border areas. Um, we saw uh, essentially different levees or different areas where the rheogram might swell up during certain parts of the year, given the dams and some of the different structures that were put in place then. And ultimately, remember, walls don't prevent people um, from crossing, right? So you can scale a wall, you can use a rope and climb over it. But the key there is that walls um, push people towards certain directions, uh, and they also slow folks down which gives enough time for border agents to be able to essentially swoop in um, and either stop the crossing or take the crossers um, into custody. So walls have a purpose and a place, but they're certainly not the be all and end all by any means of border security. So after that, um, we actually went and heard from, just recently retired, Uh, his name is um, Chris Clem, and he was the border uh, patrol chief for the zone of Yuma, Arizona. So there's, I think, about seven zones across the the border, and he was the chief for the Yuma, Arizona zone, which was interesting because he gave a the perspective then of the western side of the uh, border versus where we were on the eastern side in Texas. And Chris just gave a whole bunch of information, essentially, you know, what it was like uh, being a border patrol agent um, and the difficulties that you know his team had. Um, in terms of just being severely understaffed and uh, facing a lot of the the challenges that they had, where they'd be catching and releasing people constantly because they just didn't have enough space um, under ice to actually hold all these folks, um, and being frustrated, you know, with some of the policy changes, different administrations, um, you know, he shared that it was night and day, for example, in terms of support for the border patrol, but also just with COVID playing a role towards the end of his tenure, um, along the border as well, and uh, Title 42 and some of those policy changes, uh, so really just eye-opening. Um, you know, he reminded us to think about essentially what are some of the pull factors uh, that bring um, you know illegal immigrants, migrants, uh, border crossers into the U.S. And what's our, our essentially our response or how are we um, you know, either mitigating or trying to corral or to push in a certain direction, you know, those folks. Um, and of course, the Border Patrol is only one aspect of the whole process. You know, it's, it's interesting. So getting into some of the policy, uh, ultimately, and, and Chris said this very well, you know, a clear policy is a kind policy. And what we've had you know, under many administrations really is very muddy and very unclear and indirect immigration policies where folks um, will hear a president say something or will hear a news um, article saying something where they can get you know, refugee status or where they can um, you know, claim asylum in the US and they then will um, cross deserts In Mexico, they'll cross really scary terrain, they'll pay coyotes or the cartels um, thousands of dollars to get them up to the border, all because they believe that as soon as they get to the U.S., they turn themselves into the Border Patrol, and they're in the land of opportunity then. Um, They can claim refugee status or asylum, and they're safe, they're good. And of course, we know this is not the case. We know that the immigration policy is much less clear than just once you get across and you say that you're a victim of something, that then you're unable to uh, uh, you know, be sent back home or you know, that there's not ramifications for, for crossing illegally. And, and we know that's just not, um, just not true. And so what happens then is these folks think that they can instantly claim refugee status, but in reality, as an example, really you should actually be filing for refugee status in your home country, or if you go through another country, that first country is where you would actually claim refugee status. And to be an actual refugee, the U.S. has very strict guidelines, You know, being uh, um, uh, targeted uh, because of political beliefs or religious beliefs. It's not just you know fearing for your life because of a cartel for example or um, not having economic opportunity in your home country and so claiming refugee status to come to the u.s so it's very unclear and so once folks get here they turn themselves into border patrol well there's a backlog to actually get in front of an immigration judge to determine that status of, of refugee or not or if they can stay or not anywhere between three and seven years so just imagine you know we have tens of thousands of people coming across every week um, and just imagine how many the backlog is um, having them detained for a short while and getting them to somewhere in the u.s because you need to have a sponsor or you need to say that you know someone in the u.s who can essentially vouch for you while you're here waiting for your, your judge appointment um, then you're waiting three to seven years you might be able to work more than likely but even then, um, you know, very uncertain. And then, more than likely, too, you maybe you're going to start a family or you get married. Seven years is a long time. Maybe you have kids, and now you're going before a judge seven years later. You've got a family here. It, it just is a very messy, um, unclear process. And so, you know, it makes total sense why we're getting so many folks who are trying to cross and aren't even necessarily trying to avoid Border Patrol, but are actually just trying to claim asylum or refugee status here in the U.S. Um, you know, just as a, an example, one of the things that Chris had shared the week before that we were there, 24,000 people were arrested by the Border Patrol the week before. 5,000 of them were sent back to their home country, wherever that might be. 6,000 of them were sent to ICE. Um, uh, essentially, they may have claimed refugee status, or so they were sent just for temporary holding to ICE. And so what happened to the others, though? Well, they were, they were all released just into the U.S. to either go before an immigration judge or just purely because they weren't considered a criminal, even though, remember, crossing the border illegally is a federal crime. And on top of all of that, to me, the scariest thing of that is that there were about 5,700 the week prior to we were there, people that, according to Border Patrol, got away. What that means is that the Border Patrol knew that they crossed the border, but they weren't apprehended. So we have no idea who was actually coming into the U.S. crossing. So think about 5,700 a week, 52 weeks in a year. How many folks cross every year that we really just have no idea who they are. Um, now, you know, obviously I think a vast majority of the people that are crossing are just wanting a better life. They're doing what we would do, but, um, there are of course, bad actors and, and this is one of the policy aspects. There is a legal way, a correct way to come across and to claim the status. So hearing from Chris, just some of those challenges, his frustrations, and, and he's willing to talk to anyone that will listen. Um, just about the, his experience as a border patrol chief, what he saw out in Yuma, um, you know, he got really frustrated. You can tell even just so far this year, 127 folks that are on the U.S. terrorist watch list crossed the border and were arrested just just this year. And so if you think about the proportions of the people that got away versus that were arrested that I just mentioned, and if 127 were arrested on the terrorist watch list, how many more were not arrested, not found, but crossed who were on the terrorist watch list. It's really kind of scary when you think about it. Um, and, and I think one of the important things when we talk about border security, you know, up, up here in Ohio, us, you know, folks joke, well, hey, we do have a border, but it's with Canada. Um, you know, why, why does border security matter to us? Well, there's a direct pipeline. All of our opioid deaths, all of the increase in drug crime, for example, because of where we are here in Ashtabula County as a good point we're a, you know a great highway area for transporting things and so there's a direct pipeline for us up here and some of the drugs that cross the US Mexican border that are coming from China coming from Central America and ending up you know right in our areas so that alone you know Chris had shared for example that the week before as well just in one day 192 pounds of fentanyl were seized in Arizona um, and that was straight from China that's enough to kill a huge city 192 pounds of fentanyl super super scary stuff so we have no idea what's crossing over there um, yeah, after we talked to Chris and he was with us the whole day kind of sharing some more information too then we actually went to a um, Catholic Charities Center it was the Catholic Charities of the Rio Grande uh, Valley area. Um, and they are essentially right by the bus stop of where ICE would uh, send folks or drop them off if you were to cross in that uh, River Valley area. And they uh, are essentially a respite area, uh, a short term housing area um, for uh, folks who have crossed over illegally and are collected by the Border Patrol, sent to ICE, detained for maybe a day give them paperwork and then they go to the Catholic Charities where they actually have their sponsor information and they're then sent from Catholic Charities to their sponsor. And so Catholic Charities then has them for probably 72 hours, um, gives them some information, gives them clothes or medicine, different things like that, um, and then sends them on their way to their sponsor. Uh, Will help collect in some of the paperwork, explain things. And really crazy to think that just in that one center, They would see anywhere between 200 to 1,200 people a day um, of folks coming across that needed a place. The number of children uh, that were in that center was, it was majority kids, actually. And, you know, these these folks shared some of their story with us about some of their travels, um, you know, crossing through Mexico. Mexico is a really dangerous uh, country, really. very rugged, very um, not uh, easy to cross area, and so that's why you know they admitted that they they paid cartels or they paid coyotes to get them across thousands and thousands of dollars, um, and just so to hear about their their uh, story of the travels with the kids um, to the U.S. Uh, and like I said, back to the confusion over policy, um, you know, all of that very likely for nothing in terms of correct. Uh, entry in um, just really kind of sad in, in that sense but um, just to you know to be there with those people that had just recently crossed um, and uh, you know seeing kind of the opportunity the excitement in their eyes but also uh, knowing that they've got a long road ahead you know there is a humanitarian side of course to this border crisis too um, so that was really enlightening to, to see the, the Catholic charities of the Rio Grande Valley area Um, and to be able to speak to some of the folks that are right there. Uh, They were doing a Catholic Mass while we were in the center, um, which was kind of cool to see as well. And so, you know, we had a lot of statistics thrown at us. We had a lot of information, um, a lot of policy challenges. We knew that there were huge problems at the border. And so, you know, what are some of the solutions then to actually be able to fix some of this crisis? So I think it's really important to to remember to know that it's not – a uniform crisis across the southern border. The people that are crossing in Arizona are different than the people that are crossing in Texas, which I found fascinating too. Typically, Texas, I was told, is more Central America folks. It's more of a straight shot um, versus Arizona are more um, Mexican Americans um, or uh, are more um, you know folks on the maybe the western part of Mexico. So that aspect is different, but also the terrain is very different, too. Um, and uh, some of the responses then will be unique also. So, you know, in terms of policies, uh, more physical barriers are absolutely necessary in in certain areas. So, like I said earlier, a wall you know, across the entire um, U.S. border is not going to fix it. It's not possible. One, there's private property across the border, there's um, sanctuaries across the border, uh, there's terrain that you just can't put a wall or just doesn't make sense to. But in certain areas, it makes a lot of sense to try and divert people, to try and slow them down, um, and deter them from going through that certain area. So absolutely more physical barriers where it makes sense is is necessary. And then more technology uh, is needed too. But technology, just like the wall, is not a be-all and end-all either. You know, while we were right by the Rio Grande River, in a different part, we were actually able to see a blimp that is just tied up, um, and it's a technology blimp, a surveillance blimp. And that blimp actually had a whole bunch of cameras, and it could see movement. It could see um, you know, changes in the area. It could see people underneath. Um, it could see for quite a while because it was a flat area with not that much vegetation. Um, and that is one example of uh, technology. There's, you know, virtual fences. There's um, trigger areas where technology can be used more efficiently. But technology can't go out and apprehend or actually capture um, illegal border crossers. And so, in addition to more physical barriers, more technology, um, there needs to be a lot more staffing. You know, we heard that the entire Border Patrol agency has less officers than the city of New York City which considering how many miles the border is on both sides and how big of an organization the border patrol is um, obviously more agents in the border patrol are needed but probably what most of the public doesn't realize uh, talked earlier about that delay in the immigration judge process um, and how much of a, a shortage there are of immigration judges and people that actually process these people and so then you've got even more issues on the back end Uh, Where folks can then just kind of more melt into society then without coming before a judge or just really not meaning much Because it's seven years later. So having more of the immigration judges more of the processing folks To actually enforce the current rules on the books absolutely needed um, for a long-term solution and then also, you know kind of that fourth prong I guess would be more of the clear policies for immigration itself you're having unclear policies encourages people to come when they really shouldn't, um, and it muddies the waters in terms of uh, you know when people get here, when they're staying here for a while, um, when people don't want to necessarily live here but they just want to work. We need um, you know migrant workers to come into the U.S. Even here in Ohio, we have many migrant workers who work some of our farms. Or our nurseries for example over the summers and we rely on those and they rely on that labor and they want to do it legally but having a muddy process for even for um, those types of visas for example is is very challenging and so having more of those clear immigration policies uh, i think would be a big piece of it too to help with that push and pull factor of when people actually want to cross over the border and so those four together you know, really, I think help to address the border security aspect, um, but there's so much more in, in play with border security. You've got immigration policy, you've got refugee policy, you've got the aspect. You know, I mentioned 5,700 Godaways the week before we were there. You compound that over the years, and how many people are here in the U.S. Um, that don't have papers or don't have status? And what do you, you know, what do we do with them? Um, there's probably more than I think estimates of over 10 million. Um, you know physically impossible to actually deport 10 million people. And so you've got realities of, of what to do in those cases. But I think parceling out the different aspects of this crisis and you know our focus and our time was spent largely on the actual border security itself. Um, seeing some of the, the impacts that would make a difference on the border to help with border security. Being fiscally responsible with some of those impacts too, and knowing that you know the border isn't all okay. It's not. It's not a good situation. It's not a safe situation, and it's it's a really important thing that impacts everyone, not just the people who are right along the border as well. Um, So it it was just a really exciting opportunity. I I enjoyed it tremendously. Encourage you to look up um, on my uh, my website. Um, to see some pictures of what we saw, uh, to actually be able to touch the border wall, learn about the different types of um, you know, uh, policy uh, changes that could be made to improve the situation there at the border. Um, but it was, was really, really a, a cool experience. Uh, I've got more information as well on our website, more statistics, but ultimately there's a crisis. We all know that there's a crisis but thankfully that there are um, policy changes and decisions that can be made to help address the crisis. It's not a foregone conclusion. It's not um, an aspect that we're going to be uh, defenseless forever along the southern border or the northern border for that matter. Um, But we need to be able to secure the border and then look into some of the other aspects of the immigration process that need to be addressed you know chris said it really well that uh, tall fences and wide gates are how our um, immigration policy should be focused so more legal immigration easier process for legal immigration and more of a deterrent against illegal immigration is just the way to go